0: You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. The Trek Files, Season 9, Episode 8, Fan Letters, Early 1970s.
1: Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemachek well welcome back once again all you star trek fans star trek historians especially are going to love today hey uh, canonistas will have a lot of fun too i'm sure all you all you trecophiles spelled with an f and i do say canonistas lovingly you know <laughs> even you tech heads may get something out of today's show i'm sure you will because we like to do this every once in a while we're going to dive into gene's mailbag again today so, look, you can't, wait to, you can't wait to see what we've come up with today. They're all from the early 70s. Check us out over there at the Facebook page, facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. You, you veteran listeners know to do that. And, hey, we've been here nine seasons now, so we've got veterans. And some of you have heard our fan mail episodes before, so you want to jump right over and see that. While you're there, here's an audio sample, but um, my mailbag buddy and I will be right back after that.
0: Dear sirs, I watch Star Trek every night I can. I even fight with my mom some days when she makes dinner at 6 p.m. when Star Trek starts. I think it is very realistic. My two favorite episodes are The Menagerie and The Trouble with Tribbles. Could you please send me all the still pictures you can get? I especially would like some of the bridge in a red alert situation.
1: in a red alert situation. Well, I don't... <laughs> I'm, I've got the excitement of red alert, but I always love diving into the mailbag and here on the truck Files. And who better... We do this about once a season, I think. And who, who better to do it with than my old friend, and you know him from Mission Log, and I know him from producing this show too, John Champion. We've managed to find yet another batch of some fun 70s... You know, I love these letters because they show the devotion and passion of fans just the way it's always been. But they are from another era.
0: And most importantly, they speak to me because I'm a Star Trek fan. And and pretty much yeah, everything that, that is in all of these letters <laughs> that we do, they they speak to me on an emotional level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I absolutely get it. Yeah, and like you said, we, we pulled out, uh, I think you said the earliest here is 1972, and they go up. Through 1975, so really that that sweet spot for Star Trek syndication,
1: right? You and know? I think uh, yeah. I think a lot of these letters wound up in the file because Susan. We've we've talked about to Susan's letters to Star Trek books. She was especially pulling letters out, and that might be because there were hundreds and thousands of letters over a span there that were winding yeah. up and getting forwarded. The best things were going into the file, and I think that's why we're we're. Uh, Blessed to have some of the cream of the crop here, even though they're they're so typical of the time as well at times
0: they are and and I think you know one of the things that well we always mention how this speaks to a time that fandom was done with you know stamps and envelopes that that mm-hmm. is how fans communicated with each other or to the the things that they were fans of. The other thing that it really speaks to is just how difficult it was to get reliable information. Mm -hmm. So some of the things we'll point out here, especially in this first letter, this is the kind of thing that now you don't give it a second thought about, okay, if I want to get an answer to this question, if it's a rumor that I heard, there are about 10 better sources I can go get to online somehow Mm -hmm. or talking to experts to get uh, an answer. But in this case, uh, let's see. I might uh, even tweet
1: the showrunner, the executive producer, and see if they'll answer me myself.
0: Right? You really could, yeah. Uh, In this case, it's Brian, who is from Riverside, California, so not that far Mm -hmm. away, writing directly to Gene Roddenberry as a fan. And I love that he says, I have heard – referring to Star Trek, of course (laughs) – I have heard it went off the air because of the film aging. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) there's something really... I, You know, I, I you have to wonder where did Brian get this idea? Just somebody, maybe he's conflating a couple of different ideas. Maybe he he has friends or had friends who know about old film and know how old film does age mm-hmm. and the silver nitrites uh, wreck the right, film. Right. But a TV show shot, shot in 1966, that's not the issue here. That's not why it's <laughs> off the air. Uh, <laughs> you no, know? we don't
1: have any. Oh, 1975, right. It's not going to disintegrate. Yeah in uh in nine years
0: no uh, and and anything being broadcast at that point has moved over to tape anyway so right uh, well it know, still, it really sounds
1: yeah. like the kind of thing that that he and his and his buddies his tre- his trek gang are sitting around, hey guys what do you think yeah. because they're probably they're watching you know 75 was an eternity of generations in syndicated era by that time the local stations were chopping up episodes they were getting prints yeah. of prints of prints Paramount was trying to keep up the demand to send, you know, actual, we're sending actual film reels out to local stations. Right. So the right. duplication, I mean, he's watching a, a much more faded out show than, than he sure. might have been or his sure. older brother or mom and dad were watching in the 60s. So yeah. there was a little bit of that. And for all of us that grew up in the rerun era, there were lots of faded. I mean, that was what the revelation of Trials and Tribulations on DS9 was. They actually went back. Even mm. with commercial copies, they went yeah. back to the original negative and struck a new print. And you'd had thirty years. Even these seasoned pros on DS9 were shocked yeah. at how vivid yeah. the colors were because they had to match the new footage. And that oh, was yeah. really the impetus to the whole world of going back and leading to the the remastered original series and the Next Generation project. So, so right, people right. were reminded how vivid. They, so, yes. Uh, yeah. Our poor letter writer here, Brian, (laughs) Brian. uh, I totally get the fact that even nine years later, he's thinking, wow, is the, you know, but it also speaks to, we're so much tech savvy. We're so media savvy now because we're drowning in it. We are. And,
0: yeah. And, and if you, if you invent a number, if you say, okay, Brian, let's say he's 12 years old at the time or something, you know, yeah. that that's the kind of thing that uh, first of all, it's interesting to me that he has this technical interest, but nowadays, obviously trying to get an answer to a question like that, a totally different paradigm, totally different way that you would mm-hmm. go about it. Uh, so it, it, it's cool that it was something that specifically decided to take it right to the top Um, And sent it to Gene Roddenberry, by the way, addressed to Desilu Productions at uh, 780 Gower Street, Mm -hmm. which uh, obviously by then, long, long after Desilu had been absorbed by Paramount, but that also made me think that, okay, nowadays you go online and you look up a production company address or contact information, it'll be relatively current, all you have to do is find the website for that company. At the time, here's Brian probably going into a library, finding a book that was published five or six or seven or ten years ago that has an address for Desilu Productions. You know, because Desilu is what shows up in the credits. Uh, Obviously. That's how you get that information. So, yeah. all of that writing on his big chief tablet, too. I love it. Yes, yes, of course. (laughs) Well, let's move on to the next one. Uh, That was the one from the reading. And this is from Mike, who is in Drayton Plains, Michigan, Mm -hmm. and fights with his mom just so he can watch star trek (laughs) i mean uh,
1: (laughs) now um, i'd like to think that the you know the the memes the themes of peace and love and understanding and diversity are not totally lost on mike i'd like to think he's just being a little loose with his language Uh, here
0: i think so too (laughs) and i particularly appreciate the lack of a paragraph break going from fighting with his mom to watch star trek to saying that Star Trek is very realistic, <laughs> That's it, you know, but, but then it's the, the next, then it's the new paragraph, which is a recurring theme throughout mm-hmm. these letters and others. Can you send me something? Just right. send me all the still pictures you can get. <laughs> I love the audacity. Because
1: John, I know you're a young buck, but this was slightly before the era of just make a screen cap of it
0: yeah uh, just make <laughs> well which is harder to do now you know just make a screen cap that's harder to do or go online and find stills that other people have very uh, cleverly right. taken for right. you you know um Sharing you your could crutch. really just yeah yeah just go through uh, and find anything that you want but uh, there there's something that's not totally out of step here um if you're a fan of a show Particularly in the '60s, I think that's probably when it hit its peak. Um, if you wrote to a studio, wrote to a producer, your mm-hmm. favorite show, there were yeah, there were stills that they had. I my cousin who was a fan of The Man from U.N.C.L.E. I was so jealous about this because it predates <laughs> me, but she wrote to the studio. And asked for autographed pictures. And sure enough, she got a picture of Robert Vaughn and David McCollum because she asked. And that's just the kind of thing that they they had had. promotion budget set aside in the show or at
1: the studio because, of course, they want to promote. How else are they going to do direct interactive promotion?
0: Exactly, exactly. And then I think, you know, later on, yeah, by the time you get to the 70s, uh, I think that uh, another paradigm shift, things have changed a little bit, that you start to see that growing industry of charging for autographs Mm -hmm. and the studios are like, hey, we're, you know, we're going to be a little more careful with how we spend that Promotions well, and I th- marketing. I think we budget. had a little thing
1: called the convention movement show up.
0: Yep. Yep. <laughs> kind exactly. Of take over that function. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So that that's fun that uh, Mike is I, Yeah. For I, hope, that. I hope Star yeah. Trek
1: was not the cause there of, of the disintegration for Mike's family.
0: No, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I hope not. I hope not. Being yet. facetious. Uh, and as we always say in these shows, and it's worth saying up front, if any of these people are yes. listening or you know the people who wrote these. Please get them to get in touch with us. We'd
1: love to hear how things turned out on their. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. If they even, they might get a kick out of seeing their letter. I'm, you know, most people don't have the letters they wrote when they were 10 or 12.
0: Yeah. Now, I I think our next one is written by somebody quite a bit younger. (laughs) Yes. Um, (laughs) David Stein, your faithful fan, David Stein. And I'm trying to make out the uh, the letterhead that this is on. The the interesting, something interesting, right kind of bleed that you get from the back. I don't know if it's a, a company or another fandom or something. Maybe one of our uh, listeners can figure that out for us. Dear sirs, next summer I come to California. I may come to California, and would like to come and visit you. If you give away Captain Kirk's shirt, could I please have one? Because I'm making a show and I am Captain Kirk, your faithful fan, David Stein. (laughs) There you go, John. The
1: world's almost first notice of a fan film in the making. That was our first fan film announcement to beat all the ones of the last 15, 20 years.
0: Yes, (laughs) because as they all do, I'm making this film, but I'm the captain. Of course. Of course. Yeah.
1: And, you know, I I don't think even if they had a torn Kirk shirt, they were going to send it to him.
0: I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. They they knew that would end up in the Smithsonian someday, um, and we we don't have a date on that one. But we have to assume it's 1975 or before. And again, I, I just love like I uh, hear some kid. I might come mm-hmm. to California. Uh, just give me this thing.
1: This con- what <laughs> that that whole conversational vibe that are, some people mm-hmm. come in. Oh, hello, Mr. Roddenberry, or mm-hmm. you know, I'm talking to a producer of a TV show. But so many of them are just so blithely hey because they're reading by this time. they're reading newsletters and they're reading the books and then behind the scenes books and everything is so casual and you know and they hear about Gene and the actors talking at convention. So here's here's David coming in. Hey,
0: hey Gene yeah. baby Yeah, <laughs> I, right, right. <laughs> well and, and like you said, yeah, I mean the conventions are an important part of that. That changes entirely what being a fan of a show is like because now you can go meet these people you get to know them as people as personalities beyond just what you see on a tv show so absolutely changes the relationship in a profound way so yes yeah, so
1: peter kellner here uh nice handwritten letter uh, and he got a reply
0: Yeah, he got a reply, and this is March of 1973, from Gene, but typed by R.N. I think Ralph had an assistant
1: named Ralph. Uh, Gene had an assistant named Ralph. Got it. Uh, In between the Dorothy Fontana era as assistant and and before Susan Sackett came along. Okay.
0: Got it, got it, got it. All right, cool. So he is (laughs) about that for precision carbon. Uh, That's good. Yeah, kids. Yeah. So he's writing back to Peter, and Peter is part. This is cool. He's part of this club, the uh, Star Trek Revival Club. So 1973, right when all of these are popping up everywhere, and as far as we know, um, this is not one that uh, <laughs> stuck around long or made a lot of noise. Like lived some long of the and prospered. Did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you know, uh, uh, for that matter, maybe Peter uh, then joined one of the other clubs. Right. So, right. you know, as the Star Trek
1: Association for Revival, the S.T.A.R., which had its clubs called Bases, was really the first big national one. That, and mm. a couple of the the uh, Phoenix, uh, Starbase Phoenix is a, uh, a legacy of that still. There's one or two chapters still around. No, yeah, I, this is the first yeah. time I'd heard of the S.T.R.C. But yes, it was a golden age when clubs were popping and the Star Trek Well Committee was popping up to help everybody know about them because we're we're pre-Internet. You can't just go dig up a list of clubs across the country you had to go get it by mail and send a self-addressed stamped envelope and all that so
0: yeah good yeah. to
1: know that we've uncovered another nation little group here that that tried but the whatever happens with the labeling in the box that he's in he ha- mm-hmm. he tells a we're talking early 70s here and he yep. tells a story that gets overlooked in the early days oh it's those star trek kids Yeah,
0: and that's not what we have here. Well, there's a a couple of people that he talks about specifically, Mm -hmm. but one is uh, a 72-year-old woman who is widowed and has been watching Star Trek since September 1966, how much she loves the show and hope it will be aired again. So if that doesn't tug at your heartstrings, then he tells (laughs) a story about Timmy who is 8 years old and uh, developmentally disabled and can't talk but so happy Mm -hmm. when he hears the theme music for Star Trek. Um, So it's just, it's so sweet to, to first of all, see that age Delta. We're talking about everybody from eight to 72 different walks of Mm -hmm. life, different experiences, but they're all together in this club. And uh, you know, he's then sharing, Peter is sharing this heartfelt letter to Gene with what everybody wants at the time, just, Please, let's get the show back. Right. The <laughs> whole know? point, aside
1: from we're going to yeah. enjoy this, uh, is we. it was the revival. But yes, Peter's mm-hmm. uh, not only got this situation, but he's got enough wherewithal that he, as you said, tug at the heartstrings. But he's he's that aware in the early 70s to let mm-hmm. Gene know to tell that story, to frame that picture for Gene. And yeah. then he and then he descends into good old fan ishness. Please, please, please bring the show back, Please. There Wait, should you, be
0: no problem. <laughs> yeah, well, I love that part. There should be no problem with the studios, <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah. There should be no uh, problem with the production. No
1: problem with the cast.
0: And, and, uh, yeah. And yeah. the the underlined triple exclamation point about the original cast—they can't be replaced. Mm-hmm. So which was familiar. the which
1: was the defining? You know, they could have. That was the defining uh, thrust behind re- reassembling the cast for the first movie because no dead little TV show. Even if they'd had the inkling to bring it as a motion picture, would have brought TV actors, air quotes, into a motion picture at the time. So, again, part of the ways that uh, some of the aspects of Star Trek being so unprecedented that we just kind of gloss over now. But that didn't happen without people like Peter's letter here in the middle of the rest of his content reinforcing that over and over and over again. And Gene, of course, taking that to the studios we've seen. You know, we cannot replace these people.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, And then uh, just another nice letter Mm -hmm. here from an older fan uh, from Middlesex, from England. And this is written, this is the earliest one that we have here, 1972. Dear friends in America, this little note comes to you from uh, two television viewers who have enjoyed watching the Star Trek series and to whom the programs have given a great deal of pleasure. I'm an old-age pensioner. We don't have an exact uh, age here. I'm an old-age pensioner who lives alone. The Star Trek crew have been company for her. Please revive them and bring them back as they are as welcome as members of my family, and I miss seeing them very much. Yours sincerely, Vera Hine. Miss, Vera <laughs> Hein. I yeah. always think of a
1: Monty Python letter The way. Yours Yo sincerely, Vera yeah. Hein, Miss at <laughs> the end. But, yes, you, you yeah. know, she's got a date on her letter. You know, the the UK got, I was just checking this, the UK mm-hmm. got Star Trek rerun syndication uh, very early. Just about the time of Can- July of 69. So she's oh, wow. already had... Yeah. Um, she's already had three years here to catch on as her fellow, yeah. which is why Star Trek was soon so so big in the UK. But um, it's cool. so it doesn't you know from that hindsight it doesn't uh, it's not odd at all that she's already um, that she's already a fan. I like the way yeah. she says to television viewers, so she must have a friend that she shares this with. Yeah. But then she shifts into her first person. But it's yeah. so sweet. Yeah. It's just so it
0: sweet. is. It's adorable, yeah. Um, And then speaking of sweet and adorable, well, we'll cap off the show here with three letters that are actually addressed to William Shatner. We're not sure why they ended up in Gene's stash here, but they did. Mm -hmm. They could have generically been addressed to Star Trek production, uh, you know, at the time. Right. Um, And where else did they go except to Gene? So you have three back-to-back here. First of all, I love the stationery that Bridget's letter is on here. You think so, this is
1: from 70s? So early yeah, 70s, yes. late
0: 60s, early 70s. Teenage this girl, 70s. Yes. Flower power, teenage girl. Uh-huh. Yeah, 13 years old. She is reading the World of Star Trek and wants to know about the corvette that Shatner drives and is he a motorcycle king?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the actors would talk. You know, they weren't magazines, and they sure weren't disposable, twenty-four-seven mm. social media blurb. They'd be interviewed in these books, but no one knew the books would hang on shelves for ten and fifteen and twenty years, and kids would come across yeah. just the little data, like the, the Shatner stealing Leonard's bike. You know, yep. yeah, those yep. kind of things, or the fact that they, well, uh, some of their favorite snack foods they got by when they were dieting. Right. And they would get asked about him 20 years later, but it was just something they happened to say, you know, at one moment in 1968, because yeah. that was the staying yeah. power of the Star Trek book. So this is just a few years later, but she's already, yeah. you know, the uh, the Corvette that he drove and his motor, <laughs> the motorcycle king is cute. But boy, <laughs> you can tell she is a 13 year old um, in, yes. uh, in 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 adoration
0: here. Yeah, it's very <laughs> cute. And then please tell Paramount Studios to bring back Star Trek. Okay. Mm-hmm. We got <laughs> and, you and, there. And please, yeah, and please write back. And then I love this other one uh, that is addressed to Shatner from <laughs> Sean Sean Brock. And, and just right off the bat, please send me a USS Enterprise. <laughs> and then we don't know, maybe Susan, uh, whoever it was, that circled this in red and wrote, here it is. <laughs> you know, um, uh, maybe uh, look. I would have to assume if it's the Crassly commercial version of Gene's office at the time. I don't know. Sent Sean a catalog for mm-hmm. uh, Lincoln at the time. Maybe <laughs> you know? well, that would
1: be that wouldn't be so Crassly commercial. That would be the thing to do. That would sure. be about sure. the only
0: thing to do. Unless here, here you sent they sent the Amt yeah.
1: catalog or something yeah. directly, right? Yeah sure yeah.
0: yeah so that one's <laughs> nice and then at the end here uh, a much longer. Letter and this is from April of 1975 from Carol in uh, New York and uh, talking about her fandom and and uh, her friend. I love the P.S. My friend just called and said she went to a new uh, she uh, went to a new game show called Blankety Blank or something like that and you were there. I'm killing her now for not telling me. (laughs) I'm not taking me. Taking me. They're in
1: New York. It was a New York. Yeah. You know take show and she could have got in. Mm-hmm. Uh no, it's I the the Shatner letters here at the end remind us which is interesting now. We've got fifty five years, you know William I love the letters the letter uh dear William. Yeah, know, of, course. of course. We're we're yeah. we're informal but not too informal. Yeah. Um we've got to remember that the original, you know, there was no bloody A, B, C or D, that it was yeah. that cast and we talk so much about how Spock and Leonard Nimoy, you know, the the Vulcan allure and the Vulcan aloofness and how that was such an attraction for a lot of the, the writers, especially the women. And that was a catalyst for kicking off uh, the fan fiction movement and zines and then the clubs and the conventions from that. But you can't say that, uh, you know, the lead of the show here uh, in the beginning uh, and for years to come, you know, Bill drove his share of the fan mail. <laughs> Just yeah. the adoring oh, well, sure. fan crush fan mail. And uh, we've got different levels of sophistication here, but... Um
0: and, and by the way, just for the completists and the experts out there, I want to make sure that you know that uh, Blankety Blank but, I mean, look, you, you have to put this in context <laughs> to know that all the Star Trek stars, but especially Bill Shatner mm-hmm. making a lot of game show appearances at this time in the mid-70s just a lot of game show appearances Blankety Blank was a British spinoff version of the match game, but what we're referring to in this letter here is from the American show, separate from the match game called blankety blanks, by the way, only ran from April to June of nineteen seventy-five. <laughs> it did not last long, but Bill Shatner sure was on one.
1: He was in there. Well it's amazing. There those game shows you know they, they consumed celebrities they needed for guests and especially the celebrities who were let's say in between jobs.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and exactly. had some notoriety. Oh, oh. But, but wait, but wait, I, I think is it in this letter? I think it's in this one that she mentioned seeing him in the uh, promise spread yes. commercials. Yes. Yes. I love how specific that is, <laughs> because Which, that of course became a Saturday Night Live exactly, joke about exactly. Shatner showing up on a margarine commercial. <laughs> yeah. It's
1: forever. If, if you get away, if YouTube doesn't have to happen to preserve that promise margarine commercial, it's forever enshrined in the first Saturday Night Live trek yep. skit. Yeah, with yep. Belushi as Chatner as Kirk. Exactly. Oh, I love these letters, John. This is so yeah. much fun to dig these guys out and uh, great. and get, get back there. Thank you once again for wading through the mailbag with me.
0: Thank you. My pleasure.
1: <laughs> hey, everyone. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. All of our documents and your chance to comment are available at facebook.com slash Files. Now, for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. Yes, that's me, at LarryNemichek.com. And that's where you can also link in for all the new Trek File swag and shirts at our Tea Public shop, too. Trek well, everybody. This is a
0: Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.